0: I I am genuinely excited. I was just trying to razz Matt a little bit by my response there. So um, we're going to continue talking about the story of Abraham, and part of the reason we want to do that is the stories you tell creates the culture that you live in. And so we want to share stories that help us to form culture, but then also illustrate for each of you that your story, the story that Jesus is right in your life, matters, And our hope is that your story is told time and time again to help create culture within your family. And so as we open up Genesis, my hope for us is we can see his story, see that, hey, this is actually a human. He's not some superhuman, mythical person, but actually a human that lived and breathed and did exceptional things for God and then profoundly idiotic, stupid things. And, and so there's an ability, at least in the latter part, for me to be able to relate to him. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 12. That's where we're going to be at today. Uh, today, as I was praying about um, how, how do we unpack this part of Scripture, I'd like to just have one simple idea to try to land on. Uh, and I'd like to give fresh insights. But as I was reading this and praying about this, what we're going to see today is something that a lot of us know is simply that God is a promise keeper. That God keeps his promises. So that, that's the big idea. A lot of you guys are like, okay, I can check out now. But I hope, I hope that you don't. Because I want to remind those of you who have heard it before that God is a promise keeper. Because when life actually, when rubber meets the road, sometimes we begin to think that we become the promise keeper. Rather than keep God on the throne as the promise keeper. So we're going to see in the story today that things unfold in a tragic way because of Abraham's failed leadership. So I want to maybe think about this or ask a question. I want to drudge up emotions that maybe you've tried to, I don't want to say suppress, but you'd rather not remember. But think of an experience, if you can, where your actions were detrimental to those that you love. Like, think of a, an experience that, if you're honest, you wish... Man, that day never happened. You woke up as one person and went to bed that night as a different person. I don't know if you guys have ever had those experiences, but I have had those experiences where I would rather not have lived that moment. And in some instances, like you knew that day was coming tomorrow, and you just wished somehow you could sleep through that day. So Abraham does something that impacts not just himself, but also his wife, and then fails as a testimony to those around him. And miraculously, somehow, some way, it doesn't impact God's promise. And so I'm not trying to drudge up your past mistakes, but I do want us to be honest or maybe have those open-handed because I want you to remind yourself that God in his grace is more powerful than any mistake that we can make. Any harm we can inflict, God's grace is greater than that. And the worst that we could possibly think or do, God's power and grace is greater than that. And so when we say God is a promise keeper, that has a profound implication across the totality of our life. And so there's literally nothing we could do to keep God from being a promise keeper. Does that make sense? Okay, so let's open up to Genesis chapter 12. Hey, are you guys excited? (gasps) Right? That that was Yeah, you guys, that's actually a better reaction. I was hoping it was like anticlimactic, then I could make the same joke that Hannah made about me, but you guys responded really well. So I want to open up to Genesis chapter 12, and I want to read verse 10 real quick, just to kind of set the context. Verse 10 says this. Now, there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there for a famine was severe in the land. Now, if we remember, last week we looked at that God just gave Abram promises. He just said that you will be a blessing to all generations. And he said this in verse 2. This isn't up there, but I just want you to listen. And he said to him, I will make you a great nation. So God looks at Abraham and not because of anything that he does. Abram Abraham, I'm going to get those two mixed up. So if you're confused, there's the same person, they changed their name later on, okay? I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God tells Abraham, I'm going to do this incredible thing. Not because anything you've done or any capability you possess, not because you're super intelligent, incredibly handsome, have a good-looking wife, but I'm going to do this. And immediately, there's a famine. And I want us, especially as men, to see what happens and to be honest, that even though God gives us a promise, fear is a real motivator to allow us to question that promise, And perhaps for men, especially for myself, being a provider is probably one of my greatest insecurities. The fear of not being able to provide well for my family is a factor that can cause me to want to begin to grab a hold of life and say, God, I know that you're a provider, but. And that's that's what Abram does. As he says, God, I know you gave me a promise, but there's a famine in the land. And so what we're seeing here is this this could be a deepening or strengthening of Abram's faith. Instead, it causes insecurity, and it begins to cause him to move outside of God's promise, so to speak. God's promise still covers both his, his, we might say, mistakes and then his right actions. So he's never outside of God's promise, but maybe for the sake of clarity. I I'm think of, as I was unpacking this, I've, part of it is we've just is I'm not a huge spender, and so by God's grace, we've always had to be able to provide for the kids. Never have went without a meal, by God's, God's grace. There was only one instance where I ever felt like I wasn't able to provide for my family, and it was when we were buying, and this is really silly, and so I can, just on a very small level, kind of relate to the insecurities that Abram must have felt. We were buying a Christmas tree, and it was a cash-only place. And I had like $40 in my pocket, and the tree they wanted was like $60. And it was the only time and the first time I had to tell my kids, we can't afford that. And it was really weird what that did to me as a male. Even though I knew, like, if they let me pay with a debit card, I have the money. But not being able to provide it for them in that instance, it did something to me. And so when I look at Abram, I'm like, man, that's, that's a real motivator, and if we're not honest, that fear will drive us from experiencing the full blessing of God, or it will drive us to make a mistake, it will cause us to question, are God's promises true? Are you, are you hearing me here? Like, Abram is a real person. And so even though he got a promise from God, he questioned that promise. There's a famine in the land, and so he says, now I, be, I need to do something about this, and so he begins to set out, and he does in verse 11, and he goes to Egypt, and he says he was about to enter Egypt, and he said to Sari, his wife, I know that you are a beautiful woman in appearance. And just so you know, this is what manipulation looks like, right? Like, I'm getting ready to do something incredibly dumb, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butter the toast so you don't see that it's burnt. And here's, I want, because you're beautiful, when these Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then, do you see where the fear sets in? Then they will kill me, but let you live. On so many levels, this is a failure of epic proportions. Like, Abraham could not possibly be doing something more wrong to his wife in this instance. There, there's a famine in the land, so there's already insecurity, and now you're going into a foreign land where there's going to be greater insecurity, and now you're literally exposing your wife to the full elements of society. In, in this culture, we, don't, we, we have a hard time understanding the dependency that a woman had upon a husband in this culture. What Abram is doing is removing her cover of protection. In this culture, it would be like if I were to tell one of my kids, Cole or Grace, nine years and eleven years old, you, "You're going to go live on your own." Like we would just say, "You can't do that, man. That's not. That's not like right. they're nine years old. You can't do that." And so, for a woman in this culture, her dependency was not in totality upon her husband because she's an adult. She can do some things, but she couldn't go provide for herself economically and perhaps even in other instances, where it wasn't that safe today. And so he's saying, I'm going to step back from the status and the honor of being your husband, and we're going to tell people simply that I'm your brother. And so he begins to question God's promise. Is God's promise really going to do what he said? And he begins to act in his own understanding. You gonna, I mean, I don't know if you guys, but like, I'm seeing myself in Abram. like, i I get how you could do that. And we begin to see how he can harm now his wife. Because now he's saying, I don't want to publicly be your husband, but now I want you to lie publicly about me being your husband. And like, that's a pretty good indication that you've stepped outside of God's will, right? When you're asking people to lie with you about a plan, eh, that's probably a pretty good indicator that we, you, know, you might need to turn a corner here. When you're asking people to lie, you've you've gone sideways. And so he tells us or shows us really practically that God's promises are not dependent upon what we are going through. Okay, I want us to understand that. There's a famine in the land. So what? God's greater than a famine. God's promises are not dependent upon what you're going through. As difficult as what you think it is, God's promises are not dependent upon your difficulty. God is greater than that. And so as we look at Abram's experience, we can look in hindsight and say he should have stayed where God has promised him he would bless him. Rather than thinking he needed to sojourn to a foreign land, Abram shows you and me that his promises are not dependent upon what we're going through. As great as the fear is, It doesn't need to drive us outside of a belief in God's promises. And I say that because there are times when I have faithfully followed Jesus, and because of the experiences around me, I have sung songs of promise to God, and I said, I don't know. In this moment, I don't know if God is a promise keeper. And so I need to be reminded When my emotions are down and my fear is heightened, that God is a promise keeper, and despite how I feel in that immediate instance, that does not, God's promise is still valid. And so fear is a real driver, and I think we need to acknowledge that. So God is a promise keeper, and his promises are not dependent upon our situation. So we see here where his plan begins to unfold in verse 14 when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was beautiful. That's a, as far as I'm concerned, as husband, like that's a good problem to have, right? I <laughs> was, that? I was joking with Matt and Tim this week about a song they never heard because it was from the '60s. Has anybody ever heard the song? If you want to marry, if you want to be happy for the rest of your life, does anybody know it? Uh, no. <laughs> you want, you want to say the words? Make an ugly woman your wife, right? It's so chauvinistic, it's terrible. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is, yeah. And I was like, I have, a, I have a beautiful wife and I'm happy, right? But there are consequences to having a beautiful wife. Is They turn heads. And it's like, man, God has blessed you. So I'm gonna make you a great nation and I've given you a beautiful wife. Like, wh- why are you fearful? But he understood in this day and age that he had a beautiful wife and people would take note. And so he puts this plan in place. But unfortunately, it doesn't unfold the way he wants it to. Look what happens in 15. When the princes of the Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. So Abram's plan is a beautiful plan, except he didn't account for the Pharaoh noticing his wife. See, in this day and age, the, the, a, a woman was dependent upon her father to marry her off, to provide financial security through marriage. And when the father would pass away, it became the eldest son's responsibility. The eldest son would then take the responsibility of marrying off your sister so that she could have a secure place to live. And so Abram's logic is, I'll tell people I'm her brother, which is a half-truth. And just so you know, half-truth or lies. I'll tell them I'm their brother, they'll respect me, but then hopefully the famine will dissipate maybe in six months, I can string people along, and then in six months we can move back to where we're from. That's for people that ask. What he didn't account for is the Pharaoh doesn't ask, he takes. And so his plan went sideways because his wife was so beautiful, she caught the eye of the most beautiful person, or the most powerful person in the land, Now, think about Sarah or Sarah Ree at this point. How would you feel? Your husband has gotten so sideways with his thinking that now you're being taken into a foreign home and you now have another husband. Can you imagine what that would do to you emotionally? In that instance, how would you view the promises of God? How would you view God as a protector? The man he's put in your life to look over and care for you has caused you to lie, and now being taken away into another home—I mean, it's insane. And look what happens as we continue. He takes on to the Pharaoh's house. Sixteen. For her sake, look at what happens to Abram. He dealt well with Abram. This is the part where I'm like, Abram, speak up. He's given sheep. They brought you sheep. Speak up, man. This Abram this sheep is at the expense of your wife. They gave him oxen. Man, speak up. This oxen is at the expense of your wife. They gave him donkeys. Like, man how can, can you imagine the guilt every time he heard the bleeding of the sheep? They gave him male servants. He is being enriched at his wife's expense. They gave him female servants what type of time frame are we talking here? I mean, if you think about these business transactions, this isn't all happening in a five-minute span. They gave him female servants, female donkeys, and camels. This man is made wealthy because of a lie. And we, we see something very practically. Like we, we, we don't have to be, we're not made wealthy in a lie. Instead, I can imagine the guilt that he's feeling in this. Like, there's this, this tug at his heart. Like, man, this is, these are good things, but... It's literally at the expense of my wife. And so we're seeing something really practically here is that God's promises are not dependent upon where we are. I want to show you what I'm talking about. Look at what happens. But the Lord inflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sari. Do you see that? Where Abram felled as a husband, God acted as a protector. They say because of Abram. It isn't say because Abram's a righteous man in this instance. It says that God moved on her behalf. And later on we see where Abra- Sarah's name is changed just like Abram's name is changed. And so we see God's grace extends to both Abram and to Sarah. And so God moves in a way that Abram has failed and that's to protect Abram's wife, which is incredible And remarkable, and I hope as women, there's some, like, when my husband's get out of, you know, like, God, well, hopefully, that's your prayer. Like, God, when he gets sideways, will you come in and straighten him up? Like, there's something there to be said. Amen. Yeah, at least one person here is amen. But we see something very practically here. God's promises are not dependent on what we're going through. It's not dependent upon where we are. God's promises are dependent upon him. And fortunately, by God's grace, his promises are dependent upon him. Because if they were dependent upon you and me, we would, like Abram, blow it. At some point, we wouldn't be able to sustain the the necessity of maintaining a sinless life. We're going to mess up. We're going to do things that are catastrophic and hurt and harm those around us. And so we need to be reminded that God's promises are dependent upon him's nature and his character, not upon you or me. Look what happens in verse 18. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done to me? That's a legitimate question. You came into my land and you lied to me. For the last three months, six months, or a year, I have fed you. I have enriched you. I have given you the best of the best. And in that time frame, at any point in those months or that year, you could have told me she was your wife. I would have respected that she's your wife. So what is this you've done to me? And practically, from a witness standpoint, it's tragic. It's tragic. When those who we should be sharing the gospel with understand it better than we do. Do do you understand how his life didn't testify to the truth of, of God as a promise keeper? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Another legitimate question. But look at this. This is what he did say, 19. Why did you say she is my sister? Abram, you you said it, you said that she was your sister. So the look at the Pharaoh says, "So I took her as my wife." Abram, if you would have just been honest, if you would have trusted God, maybe you didn't even need to come to Egypt. If when the famine came, Abram, why didn't you even pray? Why did you allow temporary circumstances to negate a divine mandate? And why did you allow temporary circumstances to cause you to continue a lie such that you inflicted harm upon your loved ones and those who you should be witnessing to or sharing the truth-keeping or the promise-keeping of God? Instead, you put on the charade and you hurt everyone. And now the Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all That he had. So Abraham blows it, absolutely blows it, not just one time. This isn't a single act, this is a charade that happened over a period. And the tragedy of it is, we don't know the harm that was fully inflicted upon his wife. We don't know how long she was in his home. When she left Abraham's covering, he doesn't know what happened to her. We don't know what happened to her. We don't know if the Pharaoh consummated the marriage. It's tragic if you think about the scar, the harm that would have been caused, the potential to get sideways. And fortunately, by God's grace, his promises are not dependent upon us. And as I was thinking about this, I was blown away by how Abram illustrates for you and me a comparison to our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so I want to compare. There's a chart if you want to throw it up. The difference between, I don't have it memorized. Hopefully you can read it. But if you can't, I'm really sorry. I will say it for you. We see where Jesus loves and cares for us and has given us promises. In And in, in here he refers to the church as his bride. Okay? The church is his bride. So Abram sold his bride for security. He sold his bride for security, whereas Jesus paid for his bride's security. This is the promise you and I have. Jesus has purchased our security. Our actions are not larger than Jesus' wealth. Abram allowed his bride to suffer for his own benefit. Whereas our Savior, Jesus Christ, suffered for our benefit. Church, these are the promises that we need to remind ourselves. Abram walked away from what was God's blessing because he didn't remind himself of the nature and character of God. And so I want to remind you of the nature and character of God so that you will hold on to the promises that Jesus has given you. Abram was enriched at his bride's expense. Jesus has enriched his bride at, at his expense. Isn't that incredible? Abram was given donkeys. We've been given a righteousness that's not our own. Jesus took on flesh. He took on humility and sin and clothed you and me in His righteousness. Abram, all nations were blessed despite his actions. Whereas through Jesus, all nations are blessed because of his actions. And so we're seeing in this story a remarkable thing that unfolds for you and me is that through God's promises, people can be blessed and will be blessed, not necessarily because of us, sometimes in spite of us. And that's comforting. That's comforting for me to know that as a pastor, I could so totally screw up that it would literally hurt and harm people, but the gospel is still truth. I can't change the gospel. I can't negate God's promises. My actions aren't strong enough or powerful enough for that. And think about this church. Abram sold his wife for food, literally sold his wife for food. and Jesus is the bread of life, who says, "Come to me all who are weary and heaven-laden." all who thirst, and I will give you rest. Isn't that incredible comparison between the two? Where Abram fails, God doesn't. God is a promise keeper. I know some of us, we have fears, we have guilt, we have things that we think inhibit the movement of God, and they don't. I mean, let, it doesn't get much worse than what Abram did. He sold his wife. He allowed fear to sell his wife. Like that That's bad, right? Kids don't think so? Yeah, that's not too bad. (laughs) I mean, I just don't think you get worse than that. And yet God still acted on his behalf. And so in some ways, I think we're seeing like the depravity of sin, but also the fragility of humanity. And I hope in Abram's story, we see a confidence that we can increase in who and what God is and say, man, I hate to say this, but if, if he's that messed up, then surely there's grace for me. I have yet to sell my wife for kids. I mean, I've done some pretty bad stuff. <laughs> I, so what I want to do is I want to take some time just for us to spend time in prayer together as a family. I want to invite you into a corporate time of prayer. I don't want to drudge up something that's not there. But, but I want to I ask us to be honest and perhaps even vulnerable in this time with Jesus. If God's promises are not dependent upon our circumstances, I want us to pray about what our circumstances are. Is there fear in your heart? Is there guilt? This week has been a challenging week for me for a host of different reasons, and I feel like Satan is trying to cement guilt in, as if somehow that separates. And so I'm praying, God, please work in my heart so that I don't have to be Think, feel this weight of being a perfect husband, a perfect father. And so I'm, we're going to spend maybe about five minutes, maybe ten minutes. I just want to invite you this just for the next two or three minutes to pray about the circumstances you're going through and how God's promises are still true in that. Does that, that make sense? Let me, let, me, let me pray just real quick, and then I'm going to give you guys a few minutes to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your promises are true That our circumstances, um, they don't define, negate your promises. Fear might tell us otherwise. Anxiety might say that we need to do something. But your promises are true. They're true yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Your promises, they're promises. And so, Lord, I pray for each person that's in here. I pray that the circumstances they're going through the struggles or challenges in their life, you could speak to them in a clear way to say, my promises are for you. You don't need to be motivated like fear, like Abram. Instead, be motivated by the security that Jesus has worked on our behalf. Lord, would your spirit spend time with your children, your sons and daughters, in this space, in this place, and in this time, in Jesus' name. Church, just take the next few minutes and spend a few times with a few minutes with Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 verse 26. We see the promise that's for us today. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Listen to this church. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abram's offspring's heirs according to his promise. So church, I just want to invite you to pray. How does that promise get revealed to you? How can you receive that promise like Abram and trust in it? How can we learn from Abram's mistake and not flee from Jesus' promise, but allow our hearts to be open and receptive to that? I want to pray and invite you in to pray Heavenly Father would you speak to us would you be a father who is present and real Satan has spoken lies and hurt and harm to us Lord we know that he seeks to divide he motivates through fear but you motivate through grace so Lord we want to enter into that grace we want to admit that we need a savior that we aren't promise keepers and we don't have to be the promises dependent upon you that our circumstances don't define, our abilities don't negate. And so, Lord, we just want to trust in who you are. And so, Lord, in this space, in this place right now, would you speak to your sons and your daughters and remind them and refresh them of the promise you have given them? Could they be renewed and find hope Would their hearts be stirred? Could they be motivated to continue the journey you have called them to, to trust in the story that you are writing? Could you remind them that you are a promise keeper and we simply have to trust in you? We thank you for that freedom and for that grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Church, just take the next few minutes and pray. Church, my hope is that you're hearing from Jesus this morning, that you're being renewed and refreshed in the promise he has for you personally, that it's not some foreign concept or some, some far-off reality, but instead it's a present hope in your heart and your mind.